Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. I promise I attempted to gather more than just Christmas stories this holiday season. However, these two amazing tales fell right in my lap, and they just so happen to be Christmas-themed. They're so much fun. The second story of the night is just bananas. And again, just so much fun. I'm really happy with how they both turned out. Both of these stories are from authors you've already heard from on the show. First up is a story by D.B. Keebler, who you know from their Thanksgiving story, A Thanksgiving to Forget. Well, here we are at another holiday, and they've so lovingly let me read to you their story. Stay off the naughty list. Everyone knows about Santa and his naughty or nice list. If a boy or girl is good all year, then he rewards them with gifts. But if they were naughty, they receive a lump of coal. This is the part that everyone gets wrong, and I know from first-hand experience. I was on the naughty list, and I just now have been released from my punishment. And let me tell you, it was hell. But I'm getting ahead of myself. It all started last Christmas Eve. I was lying in bed, having trouble sleeping. I tried shutting my eyes, moving to different sides of the bed, but nothing worked. My excitement was just too much. It was Christmas Eve, and I just knew that Santa would be bringing me the new PlayStation. When my dad saw my Christmas list to Santa, he scoffed at me. Do you really think Santa is going to bring you a PlayStation after all the trouble you've been getting in at school? I had known the truth about Santa for a few years at this point, but... I didn't want my parents to know that I knew. There was no way they were going to let me go without Christmas presents. Plus, they knew if I didn't get what I want, then they would never hear the end of my complaining. So it was best for everyone involved that they just get me the game system. I laid there, unable to get my mind off of playing games all through the next day, when I heard a noise. It was the sound of a horse walking on the roof. What the hell are mom and dad up to now? I sat there in the dark listening to my parents making Santa noises. I listened to the hooves travel across from one side of the roof to the other. Dad must be in the attic crawl space. They are really committed this year, I thought to myself. But then I heard the sound travel down the side of our two-story house. How is he pulling that one off? As I heard the footsteps cross near the outside of my room, I saw a shadow move across my window. What the hell, Dad? I jumped out of bed and rushed over to my window. I saw nothing through the darkness. Maybe it is time to tell Mom and Dad I'm too old to be believing in Santa. I opened my bedroom door and crept out to try to catch Dad in the act. Slowly, I walked down the stairs, the only illumination coming from the Christmas tree. The presents were neatly stacked under the tree. When I didn't see my dad, I went over to the tree and started rifling through the presents. I saw a couple for my mom and dad, a lot for my sister, but none for me. (laughs) They're probably just messing with me. They want to see the shock on my face as I pull my new PlayStation out from behind the couch or something. The hoof sounds started up again. It was like they were on concrete. Was it coming from the driveway? 
I started to slowly creep towards the front window to see what Dad was up to. I arrived at the window, and just before I threw open the curtain, I heard a slow knock on the front door. Why would Dad be knocking? This is starting to creep me out a little. I shuffled my way back upstairs and make my way to my parents' room to tell Mom that Dad is scaring me. I pushed open the door. Right away, I felt like something was wrong. Mom was a light sleeper, and opening the door would have usually woken her right up. I walked through the darkness and started shaking her shoulder, but she didn't move. When I pulled back the covers, there was no movement, but it was too dark to see anything. I attempted to turn on the bedside lamp, and when that didn't work, I attempted the light switch. Nothing. The power can't be out. The Christmas tree is still lit. In my desk, I had a mag flashlight I went to grab. When I shined it into my parents' room, I was horrified at the sight that laid before me. Both my parents were in the bed. Their eyes were wide open and mouths completely agape with a look of utter horror frozen on their faces. I screamed out loud and that's when the knocking started again. It started softly, like before then, steadily increased in both frequency and volume. I was terrified. I'm pretty sure I wet my pants. My mind searched for something to do, but my body was frozen. At least I thought it was. I didn't realize until I was halfway there that my legs were taking me right to the front door, to the very source of the knocking. I had no control over my body. I couldn't stop my legs from moving. Even as I heard the growl from the other side of the door, my hand moved on its own to the handle and turned. The door opened, and standing on the other side was a simple wicker basket. It stood about four feet tall had a lid and looked ancient. My fear was immediately forgotten and replaced by confusion. I reached out and touched the basket. It was warm to the touch in spite of the snow that surrounded it. I lifted the lid and peered inside, and that's when the laughing came from behind me. My blood ran cold as I turned around to be greeted by the snarling, jagged-toothed mouth of a horrifying beast. Its body was covered in fur. It had two large black horns protruding from its forehead. Its growling voice, barely intelligible, came from its great maw. Not. As it reached out its large claws and pushed me into the basket, and darkness engulfed me. <laughs> I can't believe it's already Christmas. I just know Santa brought me the dollhouse I wanted. It's all I put on my Christmas list this year, and I have been such a good girl. I ran to wake up my parents, jumping on their bed. It's Christmas! It's Christmas! <sighs> my dad woke up with a big smile on his face. Okay, sweetheart. Go wake your brother up, and we will open presents. What are you talking about? I don't have a brother, silly. I don't know why I said that. Must have been something I was dreaming. Dad scratched his head. I ran down the hallways and past the empty bedroom. 
Why don't mom and dad let me turn that into a playroom? We aren't using it for anything. Mom and dad met me downstairs and we opened presents and I got my new dollhouse. After the last present was opened, daddy started cleaning up all the paper when he found another package behind the couch. It was a pretty big box. Dad read the tag and handed it to me with a confused look. I tore open the paper and it was a brand new PlayStation. I looked at the tag that was still stuck to the paper. It had some boy's name on it that was crossed out and my name written over it. It said it was from Santa and someone else. Daddy, who is Krampus? final author of the evening is Richard Kenway, who you remember from the creepy crawly story, The Hoppers. This is The Year Christmas Died. Santa walked up to the empty factory and enjoyed the silence. It had been a long, long year, but a fulfilling one. The elves had left hours ago to enjoy a long night off. It was their reward for a year of non-stop work. All year, the factories were full of sound and life, but this time every year, for as long as he could remember, the factory came to a halt. Every year, he walked down the empty factory and enjoyed the quiet. It was a place where he could think to himself. In just a few hours, the reindeer would be ready, and he would be off around the world, Every year the list got bigger and bigger, which put a huge strain on the factory and the elves. They didn't complain, though. They were good like that. He patted his middle and gave a frustrated sigh. He had put on a few pounds over the years, but he was still in pretty good shape. The red suit made him look chunkier, but it was needed. It was cold in the sleigh at night, and the hot chocolate didn't last long. The children he visited left him cookies and a glass of milk, which was always something he looked forward to. He looked back down at his waistline. He could leave a few, but he didn't want to disappoint the children. The reindeer appreciated the carrots, too. Nicholas? Came a voice behind him. He looked over his shoulder and saw his wife walking towards him. She had been with him since the beginning. She was his rock and support. Are the reindeer ready? He asked. They are, she replied, handing him a flask. Try and make it last. It's going to be a very long night. Santa laughed. <laughs> I'll try, he replied. They linked arms and walked across the factory floor to the loading bay. Inside, the sleigh sat waiting, its back filled to the brim with wrapped presents and gifts of all different shapes, sizes, and color. There were several elves attending the reindeer and checking the presents. One was stood by the sleigh looking at a long list. It was on a roll that would have stretched several hundred feet if it were unrolled. The elf looked up as he approached. All checked and ready, sir, he said. Excellent. Why don't you go enjoy the day off like everybody else? The elf chuckled. <laughs> as always, sir, our day off starts the moment you're safely in the air. Santa chuckled and patted him on the shoulder. <laughs> as you wish, he replied. He turned to Mrs. Claus and gave her a peck on the cheek. 
I'll see you when I return, he said, giving her a wink. He climbed up onto the sleigh as several elves opened the large doors at the end of the bay. Santa took hold of the reins and gave them a shake. Now, Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. The reindeer marched forward in unison through the doors and out into the snow. After several feet, the first two leapt off the ground and followed by the second set, then the third and fourth, the sleigh itself rose up into the night sky. Santa glanced down at the flask of hot chocolate. He was tempted to have a swig, but changed his mind. There would be plenty of time for that later. After all, it was going to be a long night. Santa put the flask on the seat beside him. The hot chocolate tasted great, and the urge was simply too high. He wanted more, but he was approaching his first stop of the night. No hot chocolate, but there would be milk and cookies. He brought the sleigh down on top of the house's roof and climbed off. He took out a sack and filled it with gifts and presents. The roof was sloped and covered in a thin blanket of snow, yet his boots had excellent grip. He walked over to the chimney and tapped the side of his nose. He was instantly transported to the fireplace in the living room, where he found a Christmas tree with several gifts already placed neatly underneath it. The tree itself was well decorated with shiny tinsel and decorative balls. The living room was tidy and well kept. Santa liked to have a little look around when he entered a house. It gave him an idea how people lived and who they were. He turned to the fireplace. Strange. There was no milk. Or cookies. It wasn't unusual because as kids get older, they slowly stop doing it. He was probably just hopeful because it was the first house. He went to the tree and opened his sack and began putting presents under the tree. He had finished and was walking back to the fireplace when he heard a sound by the living room door. On the other side of the door was the staircase leading to the upstairs. It had gold tinsel and Christmas cards hung on the banister. He heard the sound again. A light tap, tap, tap of small bare feet on the laminate flooring. A small face appeared in the doorway. She looked young, maybe six or seven. A seven-year-old who doesn't leave milk and cookies for Santa. Hi there, Santa said, smiling. The girl didn't move at first. She was hidden behind the door. Slowly, she emerged and stepped into the living room. She looked like an ordinary little girl, except her long blonde hair had a different color all down the left side. At first, Santa thought it had been dyed. But then, he saw it was blood. There was a large gash on the side of her face. Santa stepped forward and knelt down in front of her to have a closer look. My dear, who did this to you? He asked. It wouldn't be the first time he found a child that was being abused or neglected, but he was never allowed to interfere. A few times, he anonymously let the authorities know so they could investigate. As he went to place a hand on the girl's shoulder, she let out a frightening growl, which froze his hand. She showed her teeth, which were red with blood. She snapped at his hand with her teeth, which luckily Santa was able to avoid by moving his hand. He stepped back from her, but she kept coming towards him. It's okay. You don't need to be afraid. The girl ran at him again, trying to bite him. Santa held her back as much as he could, but she was so strong for such a small child. He picked her up and almost threw her on the sofa, but she was up again instantly and back at him. Santa stepped back towards the fire and tapped the side of his nose. 
He disappeared back up the chimney. What the hell was that all about? He climbed back into his sleigh and gave the reins a shake. The reindeer took off again, and he flew into the sky and towards the city. As he flew over the city, the sounds of screaming and yelling filled the night air. He looked down at the war zone that had taken over the streets. The people were attacking each other, but as he got closer to see what was happening, he saw it was worse than that. They were... eating each other. Groups of up to ten were targeting people and ripping them apart. As he flew between the large buildings, he spotted a group of people standing on the roof of a block of flats. They were waving at him and jumping up and down. He turned the sleigh around and headed for them. Cole and the other survivors ran up the stairs as fast as they could. They were just a few floors behind them and closing in fast. They didn't tire, but he sure as hell did, and to make matters worse, he had a pain in his side where he had been pushing himself too hard. They got to the door that led to the roof and opened it. He held it open for the others to get out. He slammed the heavy door shut just as the horde came up the stairs in front of him. The door shook violently on its hinges as they hurled themselves at it. Cole held the door tightly, but even he knew it was a waste of time if the door gave way. Great. Now what the fuck do we do? Said a voice behind him. Cole turned around to look at his fellow survivors. They had been through a lot to be here. They had all lost a hell of a lot over the last 24 hours. Now they all looked to him to tell them what to do. They'll get bored and go away eventually, he said. Bullshit! Carter shouted. He took his cap off and wiped his forehead with the back of his hand before replacing it. His sister Karen was with him. They had lost their entire family. Now all they had was each other. Then there was Luke. He was only 20. The four of them were heading out to the country where it would be safer when they were attacked. They ran blind into the nearest building, hoping they would find safety. They ended up in the stairwell and just kept going up. We are on a roof. We are on a fucking roof. Do you know what that means? That means there's only two ways down. The easy way, Carter said, pointing to the edge of the building. Or the hard way, he said, pointing at the door. We're out of options. We are totally and utterly fucked. Cole didn't want to admit it, but he was right. He led them straight to a dead end. He paced around the rooftop and nervously rubbed the top of his forehead. What the fuck is that? Karen said, pointing up at the sky. Cole followed her finger and looked up at the night sky. He saw it, but he didn't believe it. It was a flying sleigh, pulled by reindeer. The other survivors began yelling and waving their arms. The sleigh circled round and came towards the building where it landed on the roof. Tell me I'm not seeing this, Carter said, as Santa climbed off the sleigh. Santa looked at the faces of everyone on the rooftop. They couldn't believe what they were seeing, but then again... He hadn't been seen by an adult in a very long time. He was able to hide from them. Magic was great like that, but it had its limits. What happened round here? He asked them. Fucking world came to an end, that's what happened. 
So I see. How did it happen? When did it happen? Santa asked. You're telling me you don't get the news up in the North Pole? Cole asked. There was a sentence he never thought he'd hear himself say. In fact, after he said it, he had to refrain from smiling or chuckling to himself. Santa didn't reply. It started several weeks ago. Slow at first. There were news reports of people attacking each other in the street in their homes. I don't know if it's a virus or some kind of meteorite shower, but all we know is the dead walk, and they are looking to eat every living person they find. The door behind him continued to shake on its hinges. Putting it another way, Christmas has officially been canceled, Carter said. There was an awkward silence as the door continued to violently shake, and the sounds of the city dying surrounded them. That door won't last forever. I say we take a one-horse open sleigh the fuck out of here, Cole said. I wish that were possible, Santa said. Why isn't it? We ditched the presents. There's plenty of room on there for us, Carter said angrily. Because there's magic on my sleigh. Only myself and children can ride in it, Santa replied. Then what the hell are we supposed to do? Carter asked. Cole looked back at the door. That won't hold forever. We have nowhere to escape to. Santa walked to the edge of the building and looked down. There was a group of them heading towards the building. With enough force, that door wouldn't be much of an obstacle for them. If he couldn't take them with him, maybe he could bring them something to help them get off the roof. I have an idea, he said, turning to face them. I can bring you something from my factory at the North Pole. Something that can help you get off the roof. That's not a bad idea. A couple of guns could help us get past them, Carter replied. I was thinking more along the lines of a ladder or a way to get over to the next building, Santa said. With guns, it would give us a much better chance of survival, Carter said, walking up to Santa. Santa didn't back down. He stood his ground and crossed his arms. From what I've seen, guns are one of the worst things ever invented. I don't like them. Cole came between them. He could see a fight brewing, and the last thing he wanted was to see someone punch Father Christmas. Another sentence he never thought he'd hear himself say. I understand how you feel, but you need to understand the world has changed. These aren't people anymore. They're monsters. And if we can't find a way to defend ourselves, we'll be killed, and then we'll become monsters too. Santa thought it over and realized they were right. The world, it seemed, had gone to hell. If he didn't do something to help them, they wouldn't survive for very long. Okay, I'll do it. I'll go to my factory and see what I can do. Will you be all right here until I get back? Cole glanced back at the shaking door. We don't really have much of a choice, do we? Cole said. Santa got back into his sleigh and picked up the reins. I'll be back as quick as I can, he said. 
the reindeer ran towards the edge of the roof and took off into the sky. The people back at the North Pole were certainly going to be surprised to see him back. They would be even more shocked when he told them the world had come to an end. But not as shocked as when he would explain what he intended to build in the factory. The doors opened as the sleigh approached. There weren't any elves in the hangar. They had all been given the night off. Santa got off his sleigh and walked briskly to the door that led to the factory floor. His footsteps echoed as he walked through the large, empty room. It was one of ten large factories at the North Pole. On the other side of this factory, which happened to be the largest of the ten, was a large quad area. On the other side of that was Santa's house. As he walked through the quad, he heard the distant sound of the elves shouting, cheering, and having fun. He didn't know what they got up to or what elves did for fun. After all these years, it never occurred to him to ask one of them. He entered the house in such a hurry, the door made a crash. Mrs. Claus came rushing out from the library. Nicholas, what are you doing here? She asked. Santa went over to her and grabbed hold of her. I'm afraid if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He let go of her and stepped back to look at her face. She looked worried, and the last thing he wanted was to add to it, but he didn't have much of a choice. We need to assemble the elves immediately, he said. What's happened? she asked. I'll explain in the main hall, but please hurry, we don't have much time, Santa said. He left the house and went back to the quad where he turned right and followed the path towards a large building. Inside was a huge hall that the elves used to eat their meals. Six long tables stretched down through the middle, evenly spaced. The seats were small, small enough to accommodate a small child. At the top of the hall was a large table with two chairs behind it. He walked over and took a seat at the head table. He crossed his hands, interlocking his fingers, and leaned on the table. He listened to the distant sounds of partying elves get quieter and quieter. Word had gotten around, it seemed, and soon they would be coming into the great hall. The door opened, and Mrs. Claus walked in. She joined her husband at the table and held his hand. Nicholas, what happened out there? He held her hand tight. I will explain everything. The doors opened up, and a steady stream of elves came marching into the hall. When they saw Santa at the head table, they began murmuring and whispering to each other. They took their seats, but the whispering only intensified. Santa stood up and walked around the table to stand in front of them. The whispering ceased, and all eyes were fixed on him. Santa explained in full detail everything that had happened since he first left the North Pole. The girl in the house and Cole with his band of survivors. He then got to the final part of the story. I plan to use the factory to make weapons for the survivors, he said. The elves started whispering to each other again. One of them stood up. Sir, is this really worth tarnishing the sanctity of the North Pole by making these killing weapons? You've said it yourself. The world is gone. Why not let it go? They can't get to us here. I realize what I'm asking of you, but I can't stand by and let the few survivors that are left get eaten alive. We have a chance to save lives, and that's why I'm going to tell you to do this for me. I'm asking. Anybody who doesn't want to, well, I won't hold it against you. 
The elves went silent and looked at each other. It seemed none of them wanted to be the one to speak up. One of the elves stood up. This is madness, he said, and walked out the door. A few elves followed, then a slow, steady stream of elves trickled out the hall, through the door. Mrs. Claus put a hand on her husband's shoulder. You're asking a lot of them. They build toys, Nicholas. They make things to make people happy. You're asking them to make machines of war and terror. I know, my dear, I know, Santa said, putting his hand on top of hers. The elves left their seats one by one and followed the crowd out the door. A few remained, sat at the tables. When the rest had finally gone, they gathered up and whispered to each other. One elf, an old-looking one with a long gray beard and glasses, walked down the hall toward Santa. Santa knew this one well. He was one of the original elves and had been with him since the beginning, however long ago that was. We have decided that we will help you. We will do what you're asking of us. However, this will be our last job. After this, we will retire. If what you've told us is true, this will be the last Christmas anyway. I cannot thank you enough, Santa said. He looked at the back of the hall to where the other elves were gathered. There were about twenty, give or take. Thank you, he told them. Right, well, we better get to it then, the elf said. Santa and the elves left the hall and headed for one of the factories. He hoped he wouldn't be too late to help Cole and the others, but he was also sad that he had to use his factory in such a way. Whatever happened tonight, he was done. He would close up the North Pole and live the rest of his life in peace. The way the world was before it came to an end? Perhaps this decision was long overdue. Karen sat silently on the side of the building and looked down at the crowd of the undead. As the hour went by, a lot of them lost interest and began shuffling off in whatever direction they fancied. It was like they suddenly forgot what they were doing. The same went for the ones inside the building. As time went by, more and more zombies left and began walking away. They're leaving, she whispered. Cole stood beside her and looked down. That doesn't mean that there still aren't a lot left inside the building, he said. The door was still shaking a lot as the creatures on the other side scratched at the door, trying to force their way through. Either way, if our new friend doesn't come through, we're completely screwed, he said. What do we do once we're off this roof? Karen asked. We stick to the plan. We get to the marina and hope that Carter's boat is still in working order, Cole replied. Yeah, but then where do we go? How do we know this isn't happening everywhere else? How do we know the rest of the world hasn't already gone to hell and we were just the last ones to the party? We don't, Cole replied gravely. That thought had already crossed his mind, but he chose to be optimistic. But it's better than staying here and waiting for the inevitable. 
if we get across the channel and it's no better? Karen asked. She remembered that terrifying final scene from 28 weeks later, where the zombies are seen running towards the Eiffel Tower. Then we'll go somewhere else, Paul replied. Exactly where? He didn't have the slightest clue. He thought maybe the Isle of Wight might be the best place to start. It was certainly closer than Europe. Still, though, Karen looked at him. Father Christmas, right? I know. First the undead, and now Santa. It wouldn't surprise me if it turned out we were all doped out of our skulls. What do you think you'll bring us? Not sure. I can't picture the elves making guns and explosives in their toy factory, but... Then again, up until 45 minutes ago, I would have sworn he never existed, so what the hell do I know? They both had a nervous chuckle. It felt good to laugh, even in a time like this. A thought then popped into Cole's mind that wiped the smile from his face. Even if the big guy came around and they had weapons, they still had to get to the marina alive. True, they weren't that far from it. In fact, they could see part of it from the building they were stood on, but there were still hundreds of zombies between them and safety. He looked at Carter and Luke, who were pacing around the rooftop. He understood their frustration. If their new friend didn't come back, they were dead. Because Carter was right. They were trapped on a roof with no safe way down. He looked up at the sky, hoping to see the sleigh coming back for them, but all he saw was night sky. It was cloudy, so no stars or even moon. What he would have given to see the moon right about now. For some reason, it was always a comfort for him, even when he was a child. When his elder brothers would go at it like cats and dogs, he would sit quietly in his room, just staring up at the moon. He would give anything to hear them fighting again, just to hear something familiar. Anything other than the crying out from the hundreds of flesh-eating monsters below them. Santa placed the final box of ammunition onto the sleigh. The elves had done a good job. They made five pistols, three small machine guns, and a shotgun. Four large duffel bags filled to the brim with ammunition also sat in the sleigh. It was enough to supply a small army, let alone four people. He just prayed that he wasn't too late. If I'm not back, you know what to do, he said to the elves who helped him. We do, sir. Good luck. The agreement he made with them was that if, for some reason, he didn't return, the factory would be shut down. What the elves would do, he had no idea. This was all they knew. They had been making toys since what felt like time began. He looked around the hangar and remembered all the happy times he spent there. He didn't like the idea of not returning, but he had to expect that very possibility. He kissed his wife for the second time tonight and climbed onto his sleigh. The doors opened and the reindeer shot off into the night. He pushed the reindeer to fly as fast as they possibly could to get back to the rooftop. He knew they could make it. They were strong animals, after all. As he approached the rooftop, he saw they were still unhurt, which was a huge relief. 
He set down the sleigh in more or less the same spot and climbed out. The survivors gathered round to see what he had brought. Part of me didn't think you were coming back, Cole said. Well, it wasn't easy. I had to twist a few arms back home, but I got a few nice things to help, Santa replied. He handed out the weapons, giving Cole, Carter, and Luke a small machine gun along with a pistol. He gave Karen a pistol and picked up the shotgun. What's your plan, then? he asked. See that marina over there? Cole said, pointing. Santa looked in the direction he was pointing and nodded. Carter has a boat. If we can reach it, then we're out of here. They loaded their guns and took their positions in the front of the door. They made sure they had plenty of ammunition at hand. You gonna be okay with that? Carter said to Santa. Just because I'm Santa Claus doesn't mean I don't know how to fire a gun, he said, winking. The only experience he really had was with a BB gun and some tin cans, but the principle was more or less the same. Karen, you stand by the door and get ready to open it. We'll take them out as they enter the roof. If it gets too much, we'll need you to close the door and give us some time to get reloaded, Cole said. Karen went to the door and got ready to open it. Everyone, including Santa, stood in a line and pointed their guns at the door. Cole nodded, and Karen opened the door. Several zombies came charging onto the rooftop. Carter fired first at the crowd. The gunfire was extremely loud, and Cole hoped the noise wouldn't attract more of them from the street below. The zombies hit the ground one by one as the bullets hit their targets. As more came through the door, the others opened fire too, including Santa. They're thinning out! Let's go! No! Wait! But Carter was already through the door, shooting his way down the stairwell. God damn it, Karen, let's go! Cole yelled. They entered the stairwell and made their way down. The floor was littered with corpses, and the sound of Carter's gun going off could be heard from somewhere beneath them. When they got to the bottom, Carter had already left the building and was shooting zombies in the street. Hey! Will you take it down a notch? Cole demanded. Ah, lighten up and have some fun, will ya? Carter replied as he reloaded his gun. Bang. A zombie's head exploded as Santa fired his shotgun as it advanced on them. We should keep moving. Agreed, Luke said as he fired at three more zombies making their way towards them. They hurried down the street towards the marina, shooting any zombies that got in their way. Will the reindeer be alright? Karen asked. I hope so, replied Santa. They gathered at the edge of a building and peered around the corner at the marina. It was mostly empty except for a few zombies. They saw the gate that led down to where the boats were. Large iron gates with what looked like a chain around them. There was a yell behind them. They turned around and saw that Luke was being pulled through a doorway by about four zombies. One of them had bitten him hard on the side of the neck and he was now bleeding horrifically. Karen went to help, but Cole grabbed her arm. You can't help him now, he said, as a horrified-looking Luke disappeared from sight. They ran to the marina gate and shook it desperately. Please tell me you have the key, Cole said to Carter. There isn't usually a chain around it, so no, I don't, he replied. Stand back, Santa said, stepping forward. He aimed the shotgun at the padlock and blew it to pieces. They pulled the chain from the gate and ran onto the boardwalk. This way, 
Carter yelled. They followed him to the end where a large boat sat waiting. They all hopped on, except for Santa. This is where we say goodbye, he said. Carter hurried to the ignition and started the boat. What will you do now? Cole asked. Return to the North Pole. Live out the rest of my life in peace, he replied. The engine sprang to life, and the boat started to pull away from the jetty. Here, take this, Cole said, chucking him the machine gun. We'll never forget what you've done for us, Karen said. All the best, yelled Carter. Good luck to you, Santa replied. He would have watched them go, but zombies were coming at him from the gate. He held up the machine gun and took them out. He gave one last glance at the boat. They were already pretty far out and waving at him. He raised his hand, then headed back for the gate. Zombies were coming at him left, right, and center. He ran past the ones he could avoid and shot the ones that got in the way. He fought his way back to the building with his sleigh on top. He hurried up the stairs with a crowd of zombies behind him. He ran straight onto the roof and into the sleigh and was about to grab the reins when something grabbed at him from the side. It was Luke. Or rather, what was left of him. Half his face and neck had been eaten, and his left eye was hanging out of its socket. He knocked him back where he fell to the ground. He tried to claw at the reindeer as he struggled to get to his feet. Santa didn't give him an option. He shook the reins and the reindeer took off into the sky, leaving Luke and a crowd of zombies on the roof. He looked back to see them walk towards the edge, then plummet to the ground below. He turned his sleigh and flew low over Cole and the others as they left in their boat, giving them one last wave before turning back towards the North Pole. His wife was waiting for him when he got back. He threw the guns into the back of the sleigh and jumped out. He threw his arms over her and held her tight. Part of me thought you were never coming back, she told him. I'm back now, and I'm not going anywhere, he told her. We're glad you're safe, boss. It was the elves who helped him make the weapons. They had waited with Mrs. Claus, so she wouldn't have to be alone. Thank you, but I'm, I'm not your boss anymore. I meant what I said earlier. You're free to do as you wish. At least let us put the reindeer away first, the elf said, smiling. Thank you, Santa said. He put his arm around Mrs. Claus and led her out of the hangar. The elves put the reindeer back in their stables and gave them fresh food and water. They were leaving the stable when they heard a ruckus coming from one of the stalls. It was Prancer, and he appeared to be in distress. The elf went over to investigate. Prancer was knocking his head against the door, trying to get out. Easy, easy, the elf said, opening the door. When he did, he noticed the red on the reindeer's leg. There was a chunk missing, just above the hoof, and it was bleeding quite badly. Oh dear, that looks nasty, he said, bending down to take a look. The elf walked into the dormitory with a bandage wrapped across the back of his neck. What happened to you? One of the other elves asked. Prancer bit me. Poor thing must have been really scared. He had a nasty wound on his foot, he replied. 
You should get that looked at, the other elf said. No, it can wait until the morning, the elf replied as he climbed into bed and pulled the covers over him. In the middle of an enchanted forest, the Easter Bunny was beginning to gather up the Easter eggs. It would soon be Easter, and he still had a lot of work to do. He picked up an egg and placed it in his basket. He was about to pick up one more when he heard a sound behind him. He turned around to see hundreds of elves running towards him. Strange. What on earth were the Christmas elves doing way out here? When they got closer, he realized why. But it was too late. Thanks for listening. I hope you're all having a great holiday season. I know it's a tough time for many, and just know that I'm here, and I see you, and you're bringing me some holiday magic and goodwill towards men just by being here and listening to this show. I was in a low place for a long time, and now that I have this show and I get to talk to you and interact with you, I have this indescribable feeling of fulfillment. Exhaustion sometimes, but despite the fatigue that comes with being a one-man show on such a finicky, finically produced show, that's not a word, I know, um, it's just all so worth it in the end when I get your messages and emails filled with kind words of how I have the honor of keeping you company on your way to work, or when you can't sleep, or if you're feeling blue. Heck, some of you have even told me I put your kids to sleep and your dogs to sleep, which is so cool. Anyway, enough of me being so sappy. Happy holidays to you, and sweet dreams.